Welcome to Conversations from the Edge with Service Logic, your educational podcast where we discuss the ins and outs of the HVAC and mechanical service industry. Find out how we can help you increase efficiency and how we deliver excellent service in the real world. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge with Service Logic. One of my earliest memories of being aware of the phrase it's not personal, it's just business, or any variation of that phrase, comes from the 1972 movie, The Godfather. There's a scene between James Caan and Robert Duvall, and that's the first time I'm consciously aware of the phrase, it's not personal, it's just business, or it's not personal, it's only business, some sort of derivation of that. And that always stuck with me as kind of a nonsensical statement. I never was able to wrap my brain around that, even as I got older. That can't be the first time somebody said that phrase in 1972. Someone said that a thousand years earlier in, in, I don't know, in Greek. Somebody said that phrase. And it always stuck with me as being kind of important, but I never really knew why. My guest on the podcast today has known that phrase was nonsensical and has understood the real place that emotion plays in business and the real personal part of business for years. And that is Tim Riedel. He's the president of Service Logic. Tim, how are you today? I'm very well, Sean. How are you doing? I feel very excited to have a chance to talk to you now. I want to apologize for bringing up a gangster movie uh, at the very beginning of this podcast, but that's the first time I remember hearing that concept and thinking, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I understand fully and and, uh, a good friend of mine often makes the comment uh, they don't call it show friends they call it show business Um, and we always laugh about that but in the end agree with you that business is highly uh, connected to emotion an individual that has an idea and they decide to form a company for a service or a product and then they nurture that company and they have the sleepless nights and the unbelievable journey that business owners have to go through to keep this thing alive, to get it off its feet. We use so many analogies and metaphors when talking about businesses, get it up on its feet, help it survive, help it grow. It's almost like a living organism and it should feel that way. I would imagine you spend an unbelievable amount of time just getting to know the person behind the companies when you're helping them through a process like an acquisition. It's one of the most important things we do. Um, I always tell everyone when we first meet a potential seller of a business that don't worry about the money part of this because we're going to work that out. What we need to feel out first is, are we the right fit for you and are you the right company for us? And you hit on a couple of the key things that they all say, but they all will agree selling their business is like selling their baby or selling a child. So you couldn't be more right in that the, the more time we spend as a buyer and a seller getting to know one another, the, the greater chances are that that both of us will make the right decision. It's personal for you too. It's got to be kind of meta some days where you go in and think, ah, you know what, I don't think this deal's right for us. I don't think we're the people that can help this particular process for this particular customer. Oh, it's, it's so critical. Our CEO, Craig Stanky, says we have to make sure 
that that this seller is the kind of guy we want in the foxhole with us. So when the bullets are flying and the bombs are coming in, how is this person going to react? We know how we'll react. We're a very measured group. I think we do things very methodically and and we're very picky about who we buy. But we want that person to be somebody that I know that's going to have my back, that's going to tell me what's going on in their company. And when things are bad, they're bad. And when things are good, they're good. But we're going to be together through both of them. One thing that I find very interesting is that a lot of people think, well, an acquisition, that's pretty straightforward. Company A has decided they want to sell. Company B wants to buy. And company C steps in and helps, you know, manage or mediate the process. It's not anywhere near that straightforward, is it? Oh, gosh, no. Um, and in fact, most of the people that we purchase um, hadn't really contemplated it before they met us. And they didn't really fully understand the process. And they hadn't mentally gotten there yet. And, and in fact, um, our most recent acquisition, uh, I met the individual five years ago. And a lot of our acquisitions we nurture over time because the seller just isn't ready yet. And, and sometimes we aren't ready to buy yet. And we help nurture the relationship, whether it's changes in their business model um, or changes in personnel that we'd like to see in the company that would be better served to be done before we purchase them. Are there a few motivations that you see from the seller side that are more common than others? Um... You know, I think every seller that we deal with, and, and I'll say every, and I'll go to the 95% range, they want to have their employees and customers taken care of in the future, which is largely why most of them contemplate selling their company to us, and that they don't know what's going to happen to them, and they get later in life, and they've spent their lives building this business. And, and it's not so much that they need the money. In fact, most of the people that sell to us don't need the money. Um, it's that they want to make sure that their business has the proper home. Is retirement taking on a whole new definition in today's society? It's funny. Most of the people that sell to us don't retire. Really? They, they sell their business. And as we say, they take chips off the table. And they, so they secure what they've built, but they stay now and they feel this tremendous burden off their shoulders of all of the responsibility and all of the liability of the company and the employees and the customers. And they find that it's, it's so much more fun to run their company without those burdens. And, and you'd be amazed when they're unencumbered like that, what they're capable of. You probably have conversations without confirming or denying this where a CEO is part of an acquisition and they come up to you after the process and they say, man, I should have done this five years ago. Happens all the time. But at the same time, five years ago might not have been the right time. Timing is extremely important in both being a seller and a buyer. The timing is everything. And I make the comment, and this is the best way to describe it. Normally, there's a seller and there's me. And we're having a conversation. And I share with them in the most earnest way I can, there are two people here, but there's only one person in this room that's going to decide to tell their sell their company. And it's not me. 
Yeah, how do you approach that from the client's perspective? I know you take a great amount of pride in not being, I want to say pushy, but I don't insistent. I don't know the right <laughs> phrase. Ultimately, two years down the road, if you, and I'm using air quotes incorrectly here, pushed a client into selling, and two years down the road, you think, hmm, now we should have waited. You don't want that feeling. I would imagine there are times when you probably say, you know what, let's just tap the brakes a little bit. Let's slow down just a little bit here because you want to make sure that it's a win-win all around. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a, it, and the funny thing is it's a dance it, and it's a very delicate process and they know more than we know. There certainly there are circumstances where we'll meet a potential seller and we know it's just not time yet. And we're very honest with them. If I were you, I'd wait two or three more years and then I would come and sell it to us. And we always tell them, you know, if we're interested in buying you now, we're going to be interested in buying you five years from now. So make the decision when selling the company is right for you. As these acquisitions take place, having the founder of the idea that drives that particular company, that's an impressive amount of institutional knowledge. I don't know how you could possibly put a value on something like that. One of the most important things for us when evaluating whether we'd like to buy a company or not is the mindset of the seller. And if the mindset of the seller is, I'm going to leave immediately post-transaction, generally the hair on the back of our neck goes up and we have to think about does it still make sense to buy it? Um, and then we have the short-term seller that says, I'm, I want to stick around, but probably only for two years. That's certainly fine with us. It gives us time to make a transition. And then our favorite is the seller that says, I've still got another five years in me. Um, because that just makes our life so much easier. We buy really well-run companies with great leadership. And if we can keep the leadership in place, makes our job so much easier. Now, this question, I may end up cutting out of the podcast, but I'm going to ask it anyways. You don't have to give me any specifics, but I've always been curious. I've heard it said that like 80% of family-owned or family-run businesses in the United States fail after the second generation. Number one is my number anywhere close? Am I completely misremembering the way I heard that? And number two, how difficult is calculating the impact that the second generation, the children or the grandchildren play in the acquisition of a company and the process of moving forward? So first of all, your, your commentary and I believe your statistics are pretty factual. And in our world, a lot of the sellers that we deal with are first generation. So they're the people that started it. They've built it up. Now they're getting into their late 50s and 60s, and, and it's time to sell. But there are the circumstances where it's a second generation. And we rarely have any issue with a second generation person because typically they were involved in the business. They learned their work ethic and culture from their parent. And then they execute the same way the first generation did. However, when you get to the third generation, that same stickiness of learning of work ethic and culture seems to miss. It ha we have met third generation 
owners that we love and we would still consider buying their company. They are very rare. Uh, I think they're very rare period that they even, the third generation even steps in, but they're very rare that we find that have maintained those two key things, work ethic and culture. It does seem to be something that's learned and not necessarily inherited. There's no doubt about it. I think you can tell that the most successful transitions happened because they were involved with the previous generation, holding hands, working side by side. There was a Hall of Fame catcher for the Texas Rangers named Pudge Rodriguez, and his son is now a pitcher with the San Francisco Giants. And I was joking with one of my friends. I said, that's got to break Pudge's heart that his son became a pitcher, not a catcher. And my friend said, what are you talking about? The best teacher and developer for any pitcher is in fact a catcher. And a light bulb went off and I thought, oh, that makes total sense. So the son brings in a couple of new ideas and maybe a new talent, but that offspring has to go their own way. I do have another question I want to ask you. Someone offers to acquire service logic. How are you going to approach that? <laughs> well, uh, the simple answer is um, we have little control at, at my level and at the operating company level of that situation. So we're owned by a big private equity firm and the private equity firm put up all the money to buy us. And so they have the majority of the say when they go to sell us. Now, when I say the majority, um, just like our diligence of a potential seller and making sure that we're a cultural fit and that they would be good stewards of the business and be good in a foxhole, the person that inevitably that will buy service logic is going to be equally as concerned over our senior leadership team to make sure that we're supportive of the transaction, we're interested in staying on, and that we would be a, a cultural fit for them. Will you do me a favor? Can you take a moment and just clarify for me the main differences between a merger and an acquisition? I know the, the broad strokes, but there are some fine details that I'm probably missing. Well, I mean, a merger by definition is the merging of two companies, um, and typically they're like-sized. So um, I think that the nuance between a merger and an acquisition is, in an acquisition, you're acquiring an entity, and normally the acquirer is of significant magnitude in a comparison to the the person they're acquiring. In the acquisition, you're not wanting to alter or change any of the processes in the company that you're purchasing because you like those processes so much that's the reason you're interested in buying it in the first place? That's more common. We, I think, are a unique platform. There are a number of, of what you would call roll-ups in the commercial HVAC business in the late 80s and 90s, and most of them failed. Most of them failed because they tried to... Uh, make each of the companies kind of, uh, this is a, a terrible world, but like homogeneized. And, and they wanted to make everyone like the other person. And when you do that, you take the entrepreneurial nature out of the entrepreneur. And that nature is what made that company successful. So we work really, really hard to leave the culture in place and leave the entrepreneur to do 
all of the things that excited us to, with the company to buy it in the first place. I think if you remove the entrepreneurial spirit from an entrepreneur, you're left with just some guy. I don't know that that moves the needle for a lot of people. It doesn't. And if you remove that, um, you would be amazed how quickly a company will go in the wrong direction. Well, I will say this. If, in fact, someone tries to, I don't know, perform a hostile takeover of service logic, you just reach out to me and I will show up with a sign. I'll walk the line at the meeting, the shareholders, whatever you need me to do. I'm there to support you. Well, I appreciate that. I, I have I have great faith in our ownership that they are acutely aware of what has made us successful to date. And, and I, no one wants to have their legacy be the one that ruined what was created. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with the fact that they're going to look for the right home for us whenever they decide to sell. I have had the pleasure today of having a conversation with someone who absolutely refuses the idea that it's not personal. It's just business. And you know what? It takes a certain kind of honor and respect to operate as that type of person. And that's exactly what Tim Riedel, the president of Service Logic, takes into work with him every single morning. Tim, thank you very much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. And I would absolutely love to have a chance to talk to you anytime you have free. Sean, I, I enjoyed the, uh, the conversation and I loved your insights on the topic and would gladly speak with you again. <laughs>